Hey, welcome sober family to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast where we break up with booze together. I'm your host, Dana Crawl, and 128 days ago, I ended my relationship with alcohol. A month later, I started this show as a way to hold myself accountable in sobriety and to try to help other people who are sober curious, cutting back or quitting for good. And this handsome fellow right next to me is Al K. Hallfree. He's my co-host and my spirit animal for sobriety. And so I will claw bump Al and say today is June 24th, 2022. A very interesting day, it turns out, in American history. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. But this is season two, episode one. And in honor of both Pride Month and podcasters alike, my guest to kick off this fresh summer start to sobriety is Katie Mack, more properly referred to as simply Mack because she doesn't like her first name. And I don't like mine either. So, Mac, I'm going to go by DJ Crullio. That's my plan for. <laughs> anyway, Mac is the award winning creator and producer of the genre busting podcast, Fucking Sober, The First 90 Days, and a variety of other artistic ventures that we'll get into. She's a queer Latino and she lives in New York. And other than that, she's outside of all that, she's just a really cool human. So, Mac, I've blabbed enough. Welcome to the show. I'm only a little bit excited about this interview, as you can tell. <laughs> In AA, they talk about beyond your wildest dreams and that introduction beyond my wildest <laughs> dreams. Flawless. We can well, all hope to stay sober long enough to get an introduction like that. Thank you. Amen. Hi. So how are you and where are you right now? Because every time I check your Instagram, it seems like you're you're like line dancing in Nashville. You're fucking doing all kinds of crazy shit everywhere. So where are you? Where and how are you now? Um, I'll start with the where that's the easiest answer. I am literally right now in West Springfield, Massachusetts. I am doing a play. Uh, my background is in um, performing arts. So that's an actor. That's like the cool way of saying like I'm an actor. Um, and like, no, there isn't a whole lot you have seen me in. That's like everyone's number one question. I do theater. So that uh, is, uh, it, it, it's a thing you have to see and then it goes away. But now I've made these things that sort of stand the test of time, which is like, uh, fucking sober and breakup content, which is just a workshop, but we'll talk about that. Um, I, I have been nomading for the past year and a half. And that means I do not have an actual address. Don't tell the IRS. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's okay. Um, they, they, they'll find me eventually. Um, but, uh, so I'm doing a play here through July and then I take my next gig in Iceland and then I go to Pittsburgh. And so this is just, oh, I've been so cool. Yeah. I've gotten um, a, a really awesome opportunity to uh, just be a really creative person. Um, and I'm really, that is all thanks to sobriety. I mean, that's really it. God and sobriety. So um, yeah. I'll talk about what God means to me and all that stuff. Um, how I am today. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, we talked about a big day in history. Uh Supreme Court just overturned uh, Roe v. Wade. So um, as a uh, person who has a uterus um, and somebody who has had abortions before um, uh, and somebody who has sat in rooms with women who have fought for um, women's rights and all varying levels, um, it is uh, my first response is to just kind of cry. Um, it just feels like I'm being told that I don't matter. Um, I'm being told that, I mean, and, and I think like everyone's kind of first response if you're somebody who doesn't send or have these views is like how dramatic, but um, I, I really think that uh, it's a very different experience kind of being told how to act and behave your whole life and mm -hmm. then sort of, un and then being able to like break free of some of that and being like, oh my God, I actually can do anything that I want to do. And that's coupled with a lot of things, um, like breaking free of the chains of addiction and uh, discovering the things that I really enjoy and sort of living on the spectrum of uh, what, I'm, what I'm attracted to and the things I'm attracted to. Mm -hmm. um, and also how I want to express my femininity. Um, all of that feels halted and like stunted. And just as I'm sort of on this path in my mid thirties mm -hmm. of figuring out who I am, it now, uh, it, it, the wearing away begins at the top. And when somebody tells me that I can't be the arbiter of my future, it mm. already caps it. So that's just the beginning of a conversation. But um, I just want to sort of start the conversation by acknowledging my feelings and that uh, it feels really scary and really sad. And even though I can't quite put my finger exactly on why, even though I've sort of expressed some things, mm -hmm. um, I would encourage anybody who feels the immediate need to reject that to sort of check in with yourself and be like, well, what is it about you that you feel like you need to tell me that 
what I'm feeling is crazy. Um, and then maybe invite me to a conversation, but yeah, today's a big day. Um, but I'm really happy to be in this space with you and yeah, I'm so happy to be in this space with you too. And as we, I actually found out about the the decision because um, we were messaging on Instagram about, you know, a couple hours before the show and I was sending you the, you know, here's what I think we're going to talk about. And then you're like, Hey, I, I don't know. Or, you know, we've got this going on. I was thinking, Oh God, I wonder if she's going to still want to do the interview today. So thank you, first of all, for still, still doing it. And second of all, thank you for being my friend. Like, I just am so glad that I have friends who I can have a relationship with no matter what's going on in the world. And, you know, I, for where I'm at a lot of my, most of my adult life, I would characterize myself as a pro-life guy. I think I'm personally pro-life, but I've kind of come full circle back to where I used to be as a, as a younger guy, where I think I have, I I'm really wrestling with this idea that, that the, the government is able to, you know, legislate this, that we're not a Christian, this isn't a Christian country, you know, like we're not governed by, by, I, I, so without going too deeply into the politics of it, it's like, I'm, I'm torn on this because, you know, for a lot of my life, I think it's a lot of like, um, momentum from, you know, I was in ministry as a Christian minister. That doesn't necessarily mean you're pro-life, but I was definitely from a more pro-life tradition. And we've donated to crisis pregnancy centers because we wanted women to be able to make decisions um, for themselves with, with all the information that they had. And so there are things that I'm like, wow, that's a big deal, but I'm not like, I'm not like out celebrating because I have so many dear friends and sober family who, um, are devastated by this news today. And I, my main concern right now is just that I don't drink and that you don't drink and that nobody fucking drinks because we can, you know, I, where I think I would love for this episode to go is just, if, if nothing else, this episode can be a metaphor for two people who otherwise never would have met. And you said this in one of your other um, interviews. I don't remember if it was on Recovery Rocks or another interview that I had said, you were like, you're so happy that sober people can get together and get to know, you're like, how would I have ever met? Like, would Dana Kroll have ever met Katie Mack? N nope. Oh. No way. Yeah, there'd be no way. And this idea of uh, having some of the tools, right? Like I think being in recovery, which is slightly also different language than just being sober. So being a person in recovery yeah. to sort of unpack some of that stuff yeah. kind of gives you the patience to maybe sort through some uncomfortable conversations. So yeah. it's not about just immediately saying your view is different than mine. I don't want to talk to you. Right. And it's not even necessarily about like, again, I, my lens is through AA. So I use some of the um, AA language because it just resonates with me. But I, you know, just because something resonates with you and doesn't resonate with me doesn't mean it has to affect my day or who I am. Right. And I don't need to convince you that your idea is wrong or right. Uh, it, it really is something that I, you know, like I get pretty fiery about when it comes to sort of this stuff, because I'm like, you know, you can't be the arbiter of my body and whatever right. like you're, you know, but actually you're not doing anything. You can vote to do something. And the best thing you can do is see me as a person and have the patience mm -hmm. to have a conversation with me. And then it's all just about like little shifts. It's like a, it's like, if you, I, I believe that we all have these like teenage divergence examples of ourselves. When I mean that I say, mm -hmm. We go to the far end of something because we're like suddenly really passionate, passionate or impassioned by something. And then we there's no other option, right? There's no gray. Mm, right, right. And like suddenly I'm like, uh, I am so pro-choice. If you're pro-life, don't ever talk to me. Right. And that only serves me for so long. And I do that and I overcorrect. And again, that's my like teenage phase, you know, the same way I like only wear glass clothes and I like only like put up my middle finger to anybody, <laughs> right? Like I'm just so mad. <laughs> but the space of being a human and being an adult is sort of the spaces in between. And again, that doesn't mean you're like shifting your morals. It doesn't mean that you're like, you know, uh, not a person who uh, has staunch beliefs. It just means you're willing and able to listen to another human being. Yes. And I, again, you know, this always circles back to, and this would, even if this wasn't the conversation for me, this always circles back to the biggest thing in my life and the most consistent thing in my life, which is sobriety. I wouldn't have yeah. that patience. I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even have been an option because the pathways in my brain were only from zero to 60, right? Yeah. Like you were either my best friend in the world or immediately my fucking enemy. Uh, like, I mean, it's just, there was no space in between. I was insufferable to be friends with or to date. I was just in fucking sufferable. And uh, the, the gray, being able to see the gray yeah, um, is the gift of sobriety and gives me more patience and gives me more options. And it's yeah. because the pathways in my brain 
you know, it's not just the examples I've learned through other being around other sober people and watching other sober people experience sobriety differently, but it is also the literal physical pathways in my brain that have changed. I mean, I guess, I guess I have no real proof, but I like, you know, that's how these things work. No, no, that's, that's exactly how it works. And how else are we going to rewire pathways for compassion and for intimacy, uh, interpersonal, you know, kind of, uh, chat like this, which I feel like is a very like real human chat that I would want to have with anybody. I would want to be able to have this conversation with people. And again, I don't, I don't know where I stand on abortion right now. I don't know where I stand okay. on almost anything except sobriety. Sobriety is the one motherfucking thing that I'm like, I know that today I've got to not drink. And so I've got, I've got to be around like lots of different people. And I am thanks to Instagram and um, the app that we use a lot of the, my Instagram friends and I use is called reframe. Right. And it has a kind of a different approach from AA. And I, I want to talk about that some too, because I think your story intersecting with AA is fascinating. And I want to, I, on behalf of a bunch of those reframers, I want to ask, you know, not only I'm going to ask the the question you probably get all the time, which is like, when season two, because I'm totally right. going to ask that at the end, class. but I don't want to like go too far into the show itself, because I think there's more of Katie Mack that, that I want to get to know. And that I know um, my, my loyal core group of about 50 average audience, you know, want to know, which is who is Katie Mack before all this, you, you alluded to the, the, you know, like the teenage person and how we revert. I think you were talking with the ladies in one of your interviews about how we revert back to our, or, or it's even in fucking sober, I think in one of the episodes where you say, yeah, I go back to wherever, um, when I get sober, I go back to wherever I was emotionally when I first started drinking. So for me, that would be like when I was 14 or something. And, and so anyway, all that, just to say like, how else am I going to rewire pathways without different relationships and without like, I'm not the kind of person, even when I was a religious person, would call myself a religious person, was not, never, ever felt comfortable in insular groups and areas. Like, I always wanted to be around other people who I disagreed with and where I could welcome them and I could feel welcomed by them, but I was kind of constrained. So anyway, my point in rambling of all that, I'll probably have to edit some of this little, like, tangential freaking rabbit trail shit I'm doing right here. But I, I want to I know more about you and what made you you in the backstory because we don't get to know a lot of this is where breakup con hashtag breakup content needs to come in because we get a lot more of your story there and i'm gonna link that vimeo vimeo whatever the fuck that thing is um <laughs> what is the right yeah. way to say that i gotta ask my question. um you know i i i would go with vimeo but vimeo. i was calling gifs gifs for a very long time so no I listen i was wild. calling gifs gifs i was doing it the other <laughs> way so like my son was like what did you say gif i was like yeah i thought gif see i'm old enough that gif means like old like bit map like old pixelated piece of shit file anyway like uh, yeah like we're old let's just face it we're old but i'm older than it's i'm happening. older than you i got the grade approve it so my my point in saying all that was like your, your addiction story actually started with did did the addiction start with heroin did it go alcohol to heroin back to alcohol or was it both and the whole time until the heroin stopped because you were in active heroin addiction for about how long and then um you know, kind of walk us through that timeline I'll start um, as all good stories start um, from the very beginning where I was a baby. And as a baby, um, I was a, I was the second child. So um, in a, a loving marriage um, by my, my parents who were together and I started, I, when I was a little, little baby, I was born really, really sick. And so whether or not that changed the pathways in my brain is mm. neither here nor there, but it has something to be said for it. And as I've sort of grown up, like there's no ex excuse for a lot of my behavior, but sometimes it feels good to kind of put some of the stuff together. But yeah. um, I was just like a really, I am, uh, but I definitely was a really, really needy, needy kid. Um, I remember seeing videos of myself and I think a lot of people go back and see like home videos and they're like, oh my God, like I was so cute. And I see videos of myself and I, I was insufferable. I just, I look at those things and I get like, I'm getting flushed. Like I no, am I, yeah, still working I'm, through, yeah. Yeah. um, my feelings about it. myself as a kid. What? an insufferable child. Like, hi, 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 dad, 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 hi. Like, I think I actually did talk like that. And I was, <laughs> I just wanted attention all the time. And yeah. things that were very, very, very 
permeating for me um, was that I always liked other people more than myself, just like always was more interested in other people. And I've always, and that kind of made me a people person, but it's just a slight nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, and never really liked who was being reflected back to me. So I always felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. in my skin, which is something we hear a lot in um when people sort of talk about this story. So I always wanted to escape. And so one version of escaping, which I thought, which like would someone, someone might coin as like um, good or healthy is like, I loved stories and that's not, you know, abnormal. And I had a big imagination and I loved playing and I loved, you know, like being physical. So anything that sort of like took me out of like when I just had to sit still. And mm-hmm. uh, I also, um, I, I, I really uh, then very quickly, when I discovered substances and things that could take me out of my body and I didn't have to think about myself because mm. there was always a sort of like an app running in the background that I just, I just really didn't like myself. Like I'm stuck in this body and I just didn't like that. And I wanted to be someone else. And that ranged from not wanting to be a girl, which is a little bit different than wanting to be a boy. I just didn't like, okay. I have only brothers and I just, I immediately rejected everything very hyper feminine. Okay. Um, so like my, my uniform all through elementary school was like white t-shirts and blue jeans. And I just say that it's, it's not like rebellious, but like, I definitely didn't like Barbies and, um, you know, like ribbons and I never had a baby doll and I just didn't like any of those things. Um, which would be a different story if I had always thought I was a boy, which is not the case. I'm not a, a transgendered uh, woman. I, uh, I'm a, a, a cisgender woman who I guess the term back then would have been like tomboy, but I just mm-hmm. really, that the, the idea, idea of femininity for me was like just kind of repulsive. Um, and I never wanted to be like a mommy. Um, and so that, that actually othered me very quickly. Um, and mm-hmm. The things, the the times and the spaces that I felt the happiest was when I was like in a group of boys, um, kind of hanging out and doing boy things. Um, and I, I very, and I also loved people who didn't just accept the norm. I was Miss Perfect. Like I mm. was afraid to be anything but perfect. So anybody who was, and I wasn't perfect at all, but, uh, but anybody who kind of rebelled against that, like any of the, the bad kids in school, I just thought were the fucking coolest. So I would befriend them immediately. All that is to say, the moment I had my first sip of alcohol, it was it was over. That was that mm. was fucking it. And for a long time, I I was I was always on the phone. I was was always on the house phone. My mother even got me my own phone line when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade because I was mm. always hanging up the, the phone line. We didn't have call waiting or call ID. We just I I was just always on the phone. So. I would talk on the phone all day long, right? Out of myself, out of myself, out of myself, being with other people. And um, then at night, I would start to sneak out. Um, I would like jump out of my second story window and we would steal cars and we would drink and we would just bond and be with each other. And I just yeah. loved that being with other people. I wanted a community. I've always wanted a community. I yeah. felt different in my family. I felt sort of different from um, other girls. I I really didn't feel close. I, I didn't feel tethered to my parents. Um, and so I just, you know, I don't know the moment that I found my community of like other people who like to drink and smoke, that was it. That was it. And mm. I had arrived and I was able to like juggle pretty successfully school. Um, and I've always been a very functional, whatever user. And then, uh, when I was 16 years old, one of my best friends got killed and, uh, that allowed my parents to not, we didn't, you know, they, my, my parents are fine human beings who did a great job raising us. Um, it just maybe wasn't the best job for me. Yeah. And, uh, when Zach got murdered, I, um, uh, was basically given free reign to do whatever I wanted. And, um, 16, 17 is when I started using everything under the sun. I would put anything up my nose. I would put anything, you know, in my body, combinations okay. of things. Um, and I was able to handle it pretty well. That was also like part of it, right? Like I was the girl yeah. who like, you know, straight face, straight face whiskey, like. Um, hanging with the boys, right? Yeah, hanging with the boys. Like that was the best. Um, so that was, that was the, I don't know. That was just a big part of my identity, which just really took up all the space it needed from the time I was 12 until I was in my early twenties. Um, and then in my, and I was very high functioning, but always in like tumultuous relationships. 
Um, always curious what my purpose is. Never liked who I was, like how the way I looked. And um, and that I uh, kind of, no one's surprised that I did this except for me. Um, I took like an improv class and then took like a work study class at Second City in Chicago and then met a boy and uh, he was an actor. So then I auditioned for an acting school. And I remember in, I had gotten into this program somehow magically. Um, that, kid, that kid's got potential somewhere. Uh, I was probably <laughs> drunk at the auditions. And um, I remember the distinct decision. I was like an active functioning drug user, uh, heroin, coke, drinking constantly. Um, sex work in order to support support that mm-hmm. um who was in an acting class and realized I couldn't look at the other person in the eyes and that wasn't going to work uh. right because I think anyone who kind of ever remembers being an active addiction addiction like you don't want to be caught even if like yeah. I'm drinking and you're drinking and we're both we're both drinking I don't want you to know that I'm drunk Right. Right, I'm always pretending that I'm not as drunk as I am. So the moment that you see that I'm drunk, then like the magic's gone or the moment that you almost that you have to call that out, the magic's gone. Uh, And I had always been testing. Like I would test people like I would like flush the bathroom toilet and do a line. I dare you to fucking say some shit, you know, like I would I would be like, I I don't know, I would turn the corner and and be able to do drugs and like, you know, just I would pop pills in front of people like daring them to tell me that it's not Tylenol, you know, like that kind of like weird confrontational lie. Um, And then in acting class, I realized it was, it was, I just like, so remember this moment. I was acting poorly. I'm still not very good at it, but uh, I, I just, there was no potential of me getting better if I wasn't able to be present with that person. And that being present was actually something I almost never was able to do. Okay. I was always, 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 always worried about the future, worried about what people were thinking about me, um, worried about what was going to happen next. And that uh, what every single time I used, it allowed me to like pause some of those thoughts, but I wasn't able to be present. And if any actor who listens to this knows, it's about like being honest and in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any idea what honesty was like, not a fucking clue. And I couldn't be in the moment. So after I decided that I wanted to try to give acting a go. It was the first time I wanted anything more in my life than using. Um, and I, how old were you at this point? I was 23. 23. 20, okay. 23. By the time I actually got brave enough to do it, I was 24. To okay. Get clean. And though this weird event of things happened, I was doing summer stock. I got in a weird confrontation with the artistic director that was really uncomfortable. So I left and then my friend gave me his empty i just like the image imagery empty like totally white apartment on like the something floor like i don't know 12th floor so i could oversee all of chicago and i remember trying to get clean in his furnitureless empty apartment on the kitchen like on the linoleum kitchen floor and in the bathroom because i didn't want to get the carpet dirty and just that was that was it and that was wow. it. And I'm a, a total one percenter or two percenter. I haven't used narcotics since. Okay. Um, but you said else, if, if I'm remembering correctly, you left once the narcotics went away, it was, well, I can drink whatever I want. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because I'm a creative, right? I'm like a creative <laughs> artist. And so maybe I shouldn't drink like I, I you know, the, the, the drinking and maybe even like the smoking. Um, I really like it helped, you know, uh, it made me feel more creative. Um, and then it, it's just about like, right. It's always been about finding the right dose. Right. So it's like, Oh, I can do two shots before. Oh, it looks like I can do four shots before. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have half a bottle of water, which is half a bottle of gin, you know, like it's finding the right, it's always been about finding the right balance. And for me, it's always been about finding the right balance to function. Cause I'm just yeah. so afraid I don't have a purpose. Um, and I'm waiting for that, like that shoe to drop that I don't have a purpose and then I can go kill myself. Um, so I, it, I, that was my first introduction. And and at this point I'd already had two DUIs, um, by the time I decided to, um, uh, get clean from heroin. And honestly, like at the time, I didn't even really know what I was doing. Cause I knew, knew, I didn't know anybody else who was, clean or sober the word sober was not not anything I'd ever heard before I think if I'd ever met anybody who was sober I would be like 
oh, like you're fucking weird. Like, oh, you're one of those weirdos. Like you're a predator. Like, yeah. like I don't know, like some sort of like had a strong response, right? Anytime you have a yeah. strong response with something, like maybe we should look at that. Um, and so a couple years later, I started dating. Uh, I moved to New York City after, you know, becoming an actor and getting something called my equity card. Great at this point. This is really what I'm going to do. Um, uh, if I can just X, Y, or Z, if I can just lose 10 pounds, if I can just whatever, like nothing's ever enough, but I knew I couldn't live anywhere else because I couldn't drive. So I moved to New York city to make it. I don't even know. None of this stuff has a lot of consciousness to it. It really is just like constantly just like going to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, more, 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 more. So I moved to New York city. And, um, at this point in my drinking, I'm blacking out during like even good stuff and I'm being really 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 mean to people like mm. you and I actually could have had like a wonderful you know b- couple a bottle of wine night we're bonding we're hanging we're having a great time we're like sharing stories I'm like that's my homeboy like oh my god we are so <laughs> close and I would remember none of it mm. so it's not even the bad things I lost all the good things oh okay it was so sad um and so yeah, I went to my, I had already gone to like a couple NA meetings. I'd been like, I'd gone to other mandated, like, uh, I had to like take another driving class. I had to watch like these things about recovery. I don't know, something like that. So they've been dosed to me in little bits, but it's not my culture. Mm-hmm. And then I went to AA for the first time when I was 26 and I am now 36 and it's taken me 10 years to accumulate two years, two and three quarters years. Okay. So that, that to me just translates to people that like, I think relapse is a part of recovery. You have to get sober for you. You have to figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what did work for you? Cause that was my next question was, you know, it sounds like that, you know, you had that sort of not, rev- if not a revolving door experience, but like you know, you had lots of attempts at, at sobriety. And then what, what finally stuck? What do you think it was this time that made it stick? Cause again, I'm, I want to know about Katie Mack. Cause when I listen to you, even now I'm having to remind myself, like you are Anita. I mean, Anita is your, your middle yeah, name, but, but I also know as a writer, you know, there's a difference between the, I, I did a creative writing uh, degree in, in fiction. And my thesis was about an army chaplain and one of his, um, infantry team leaders who was a sergeant and it was like I because part of my story is I was an infantryman in, in Iraq and then I was a chaplain in Afghanistan and so there's this dark night of the soul scene with both of them where it's in a chapel in Afghanistan literally in the middle of the night of course and they're talking it's like listening to two parts of me talk back and forth to each other um, and so as I'm sitting listening talking to you I'm like this is this is Katie Mack but I'm like I have to remind myself, it's not, Anita is you, but Anita is also not you. I mean, she is and she isn't. So tell me what was it that worked for, because I don't want to conflate those two stories in my head and make, because when you said you're 36, I'm like, shit, I thought she was like 26. It's because Anita's younger than you are, right? And so so tell me, what what do you think worked for you? What worked for Mac in terms of alcohol sobriety? Such a good question. it's kind of funny because the way, the first thing I sort of want to offer is that it's like really interesting to know what works for me, but uh, it's almost like someone saying, so like, oh, you lost a hundred pounds. So how'd you do it? Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah. No, no, no. I, I want to still answer the question, but no, the idea I, I like, know, I know, but the like, idea I see being, what like, you're so saying. So what'd you eat? Yeah. yeah. And I just, and I, and the thing is, is that there's just like, God, I've done this so many times. And uh. the thing that, but the thing that worked for me, the thing that I needed to do is I had to do this so many times. Okay. I had to do this six times. I had to relapse six times. I had to be a heroin addict and then I had to use a lot so my brain could change from my addiction with heroin. Mm. And then, which is like a five-year thing. And then I had to give myself the option and I had to know about a program like AA and meet other people who are successful. Then I had to think about them while I was going out and drinking. And then I had to like, then the next goal of that was like telling all my friends and family that I was sober. That didn't keep me sober, Hmm. right? But that was one step of it. And then I had to totally fall on my face. And then I had to fall on my face again. And then I had to, and then basically like my last 
you know, like the story at the end of fucking sober, um, I, not like not a big, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but like, uh, right. I'm on like, I'm on a train. Uh, you would think this like incredibly scary event that is nothing compared to all the horrible positions I put myself in mm. would have been enough of an awakening. Um, my story, Anita's story ends there. That actually happened, but that didn't keep me sober. Mm. And my bottom for me, man, I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. It was two things. It was either I'm going to kill myself because this is exhausting yeah. or there has to be something else. Yeah. Like I can't keep doing what I'm doing. My last bottom was the most boring bottom ever. I wasn't, I was newly in love. I was on a hike with my boyfriend. I, you know, we were like up in the mountains and I just, I said to him, Hey, like, I think I'm going to get sober now. Mm. And he drank and all this stuff. And he, his brother was sober. So he was like, Oh, cool. He didn't understand what sobriety meant. Um, sure. That, and it was a big thing later, but you know, <laughs> I wasn't at a, bottom bottom gotcha. right I was not the bottom that we see I had already done like we always in in AA we talk about our our bottoms having another bottom right there's like yeah. another basement I I had gone all the way back down and then I like took an elevator back up and I was like even up here it sucks yeah. and it just you know like I had given myself eat a little a little opportunity every time I tried right I gained something right so something that had never been an option before was advocating for myself or like, I don't even know what it means to have dreams. I don't know what that means. It's very mm. strange language to me. I think we use it a lot. I still don't know what it means. Um, but God, man, it was either I'm going, I'm just so tired of this. I'm either going to kill myself or I'm going to try something different. That's it. And with regard to that, because it, it seems like, I, I mean, I'm an all or nothing thinker. So maybe this is, and I'm a catastrophizer and a whatever else. So maybe this is me projecting myself onto all of Please. America and Western culture. But like, don't, don't we seem to be very black and white about things like we talked about earlier when it comes to Roe v. Wade or anything else? Like we, it's, it, it seems like in America, we're very all or nothing. So sobriety can be that way too. It seems like for me, for a lot of people, it's like either you are or you, or you aren't either you're all in or you're all out or whatever. And that resonates very much with the military part of me too. And so like you talk a lot about doing just well enough, yeah. you know, in your, your interviews and in your, um, and in hashtag breakup content, I think you also said like, this is the space where sobriety, this is the space where uh, breakup grief happens. This is the space where um, feeling devastated about, about the row overturning, this is the space, this is real life, right? So how do you do just well enough to function when you're sober compared to doing just well, well, how much of this for me, it's like, for me, it's caffeination and how much caffeine can I have now? Cause I've got a bad trace for addiction, but how do you do just well enough? Because so much of sobriety is just the ordinary day to day. It's not like, it's not like, here we go, do, do, do. And it's all, it's all glitter and rainbows or it's all down in the dumpster. A lot of it's just in the middle, right? It has to be. I mean, it just has to be because like the biggest monster towards getting anything done is perfectionism, right? And that is yeah. just something that like, it keeps us from doing stuff. And God, I'm just so tired of not doing stuff. And yeah. I think that's the same thing with sobriety. And I, and I do think that there's space, right? When somebody is like, California sober isn't actually sober and they're super excited about being sober. That is the teenage thing. You're just like, there's no other way. Go do that. That's great. If that, you know, if that's, if that's, if that's how you see sobriety and that's how you need sobriety and that's how sobriety was mm -hmm. working for you, then like, that's fine. And maybe even you saying it to somebody might work for them. So there's still space for you to like be vocal about it. Also, there might be room for something else. There might be room. Because I couldn't receive the messages from AA 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now I can receive all of it. Even stuff that I'm like, mm, that's like very heteronormative, <laughs> white male Christian thinking. I'm like, yeah. but I see the message. So what is it? How is it? Because when I think AA, I think like the, the archetypal picture in my head is some average white dude. Right. And so like, how was it that you connected? I know I, we know through like, say Anita's story, which I'm assuming somewhat mirrors your story of how you ended up in a meeting, but like how, why, what kept you there? What keeps you there now? Um, you know, because it is stereotypically, I think very much 
heteronormative white male mid 20th century stuff because that's where the book came from right yeah and that's who started it so it's not even like necessarily like anti everything else it's like yo like these two dudes they wrote a book <laughs> the book still lives it worked pretty good <laughs> like that's cool and you know i like oh god I'm so, I, I just love talking about this stuff um it was actually not written for anybody except for like the people written like who they they thought maybe they could talk to then it was written yeah. for people like in the what is it 30, 40s 50s mm -hmm. uh, you know like that's when it really started to pick up and then rewritten again in the 70s now that's okay that doesn't mean it doesn't have any value mm. Right. I think that that's where we get really lost. I mean, yeah. there is right. Like even in uh, um, like Catholicism, or I was going to say mm -hmm. like Christian groups, that's the Bible, right? We have the Bible yeah, yeah. and we have Bible study, right? So we, we open up the Bible. I get, this is actually, I'm making this up. This is, I think no, no, it's no, like, no, go for it. You no, open, you're, you open you're up the Bible. Y'all sit in a group and y'all talk about stuff. Right. You talk about it in, in context to maybe what's happening to you or life now. Exactly. Right. And that's, it's not supposed to be a one-to-one. -one. It can be. The things that I find crazy about some of this stuff is that it is a direct one-to-one -one. in the same mm. way that I read Shakespeare and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. The way that those people felt, that's how I felt when I fell in love. Now yeah. I later found out that's codependency, but whatever, you know, <laughs> like, ah, like that, those feelings are the same. And I think the problem <laughs> that sort of happens in a lot of things is it's like, we're not looking for, it's all sort of about efficiency, right? If I, if I start to read the book and I can't tell, there's nothing, I immediately, I'm like, there's nothing fucking here for me. I close the book. Yo, you're yeah. five pages in, man. You, know, you ain't read the book. Like yeah. if, and even if like wild, if I read the book cover to cover, I have like mm -hmm. a big, I have the big print copy so I could write it in. It's like really large. Even if like wild proposition, read it cover to cover. If I got, two things out of it mm. it's fucking worth it yeah why does it why does every page have to be gold that shit's free yeah that shit is free you know and that and for me the things that i learned had nothing to do with the big book i didn't read the big book to learn the things from the big book i read the big book to learn how to sit there for two pages and underline words mm. my nervous system could not do that before okay that's where, and, and I, I learned how to listen. Somebody gave me instructions. You could not have told me what to fucking do before that. Somebody gave me instructions. I followed the instructions and guess what started to happen? I started to like myself because I followed through. Yeah. before everything happened to me right like oh my god I wake up in this apartment and like woe is me or like oh, my, oh the train's late like fuck of course train fucking late you know it's me it's always our technology doesn't work everything the world's out you know so fucking angry all the time this small steps of saying I'm going to do something and doing something showing up on time to stuff mm uh calling people when i said i was gonna call them underlining words in a book yo man i don't know about you but i needed that yeah because That's, no one yeah. no one i needed i needed someone to hold my hand become a person and nobody did that and i never became a person and i just was a, a bratty self-righteous asshole and uh and i didn't like myself let alone love myself talk about a culture of self-love like there's nothing more obnoxious than like learn to love yourself what does that even mean yeah and it is it is god forbid saying you know you say you want to be a type of person and then you being that type of person is really reinforcing and it feels really good so that's what aa gave me and then it gave me a space to listen to other people complain it also gave me a space to uh, learn to complain. It gave me language and it showed me examples of people who are successful. Yeah. Um, and it just gave me another option. There was no other option. I did not okay. know there was another option. Okay. Um, and there are a lot more other options now. Um, but I just fucking like it, man. I like it. And it works for you. And, and I've stolen the AA because I think it's an AA saying I've said it in other episodes and in chats and stuff like, hey, if... if 
if it, you know, the program works, if you work the program, right. And that applies yeah. to any program, really. Right. And, so. and when we talk about fitness, so I'm also a personal trainer. When, when we talk about fitness, there's all these, there's so many different ways to get in shape, right? Now, the only way to really try to do a thing is to stick with the thing. Yeah. So like, and the reason why someone's like, oh my God, try Pilates, that shit will change your life, right? And then another person's like CrossFit, that shit will change your life. And they're like a Pilates person or a CrossFit person. They did that thing. They stuck with that thing. They continue to do that thing. They became that thing. They're a Pilates or a CrossFitter, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how they got there. The end result is that they're like people who take care of their bodies and care about themselves. Yeah. There are so many different ways to do it. What they did is they stuck with it. Okay. And that you just got to stick with something for a while and then it, it serves you until it doesn't serve you anymore. It sounds like AA has helped you um, as the program that you chose or that chose you or however God or the universe or right. what, however this shit works. It sounds like it's gotten you to be able to um, to look yourself in the eyes. I, I, as you were talking, I wrote, I typed out and made real big. So I make sure I don't forget to like, this is the key stuff that's coming out of what you're saying, not from, from as I'm listening to it, community and big, big, as big as I could fit it on the page, community community. Yeah. And you found a community of people where you could look them in the eyes and they could look at you in the eyes and where you could look yourself in the eyes for maybe the first time. Right. Because here's a person, what I was so fascinated about Anita, and especially as I've gotten to know you through listening to watching breakup content, hashtag breakup content, and by chatting with you here and listening to your other interviews and stuff is just, you describe you and Anita both say something like, I'm this person who wants to hide, but yet who wants to be seen. Like I want to be seen, but I want to hide at the same time. And you found a community of people where like you were able to be who you are and you're able to come to terms with who you always were and who developed you into who you are now. And because that's AA, great. But if it's not AA for somebody else, then like who gives a shit, right? All really AA is for me is a community of people who have taken the time to get to know themselves. Yeah. And so they've normalized a lot of things. It's like, I mean, yo, every single time I walk into an AA meeting, I'm like, damn, we would have had a good time partying. Like people are so funny, <laughs> yes. Yes. so fun and so interesting and have really good stories. And yeah. I, I've never been around people who are like, man, I'm late all the fucking time. And I, you know, I still like myself or yeah. I was being a shitty partner and like, talking to people about it. Like, you yeah. know, the other day I, I screamed at my partner. I just fucking yelled at him and that was it. That, you know, and I told him he was an asshole and he called me a cunt and, you know, you're like, wow, this feels very personal. Yeah. And they're like, and then we talked about it and we made it okay. It didn't have to be anything behind closed doors. This idea that like things are not perfect uh, and that you can laugh at them, acknowledge them, but then learn from them. And it's the, on the, on the flip side too, I've only been to a handful of AA meetings, but I went with a friend and the beautiful thing about those meetings at the end of the week, I stood up because I went to four or five with him. I took him on the morning when like he had to make the coffee. And so like all these things that you talked about, uh, you know, that as Anita gets in, in the first 90 days and experiences a, I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I've had this experience myself. And for anyone out there, like you should just go to a meeting just to see what it's like, because it's really cool. And I stood up at the end of the week and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm Dana and I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, but I really wish that my church had what y'all have here because the beautiful thing on the flip side of what you said is you go in there, you're like, wow, this stuff's so real, but you're also in a room that's going to call you the fuck out when you're not being real because there were people that would stand up and you could tell they were the ones that shared all the time. And they, and they were like, well, yeah. And then I went and then I did. And then I said, and did that. And everybody's like, mm -hmm. like the whole room, like, and everybody <laughs> called him on it. And like, don't we need that too? a place where we can go and be like, Hey, I'm really trying. And I really did. And then I, I think I'm going to do this. Or I think, and I did this because I wanted to, but people were like, no, 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 no. You did that. Cause you wanted to drink or whatever. Exactly, it is. Right. And like, and, and that idea of being able to call yourself out on your own bullshit, what are your real intentions yeah. is actually really relieving, right? Like I find myself in situations sometimes being like, you know, do I want to reach out to an ex-girlfriend of mine? And it's like, oh yeah, you're just trying to get in. You're not doing something genuine. You're not saying here, here's a gift you're actually trying to like weasel yourself into her life. Mm. Like pause, chill. Or like, what are, like, what are my genuine intentions? 
you know, for me, I just was always on autopilot. Like the alcohol industry tells us what our intentions are with alcohol, uh, which is to, they, they tell us our intention yeah. to drink is to release us to relax, uh, our, to, to, to give ourselves something we deserve. But like, you don't even know if you're relaxed or stressed, if you deserve anything, because you're just like, oh, five o'clock, I'm done with work. I guess that means I deserve something. Or you feel a feeling of anxiety or you feel, you feel a fucking feeling. And you're like, that must mean I'm feeling a feeling. So I should drink over it. Like we've been told all these things. What would happen if you were actually were like, that checks out, you know, like that makes sense. And I actually think that's sometimes the difference between people who drink all the time and people who don't. They're able to be honest with themselves, check in with themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had a really hard day. I I kind of feel like I want to drink because I kind of want to check out for a little bit. Yeah. So they'll pour themselves a glass of wine and they're like, I'm a little drunk. I got to check out. And they go the fuck to bed. Yeah. They're not on autopilot. Yeah, my brain doesn't work that way. But I'm also yeah. was also on autopilot. You know, like mm-hmm. it was. I just, I don't even know if we have the language in our culture to talk about all of the ways in which we can call ourselves out. What are your actual intentions? Yeah. You know, and actually they're all okay. If my intention is to, you know, find a meme or a picture to get my ex-girlfriend to call me back, let me at least know that. And instead I can say, Hey man, I've been thinking about you a lot. Uh, I was going to pull some bullshit. Uh, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm just going to say, hey, if you are comfortable with me reaching out or you, you know, would not like me to, I'll receive that. But like, let me just say, hi, I've been thinking about you a lot. How interesting yeah. to receive that, right? Yeah. And so it's like, I, I'm the person who like needed to stop. Like, I'm so intensely self-critical that for me, it was like the booze was an escape from all that because I was like overly, but, but what happens is the meta, the meta feelings, it's like the guilt about the guilt that like, cause I would be like, I'm such a fucking monster because I'm manipulative and I have this manipulative thought and I wanted to blah, blah, blah. And like, and I would attack myself and then drink over it instead of just saying, you know what? I had a manipulative thought or I did a manipulative thing. Okay. I'm fucking human. Like, yes. I don't have to drink so about what? that. Yeah. Like, like, so I mean, that's the, and then also like, here's the other like la- la- layer of calling yourself out. Like sometimes we're like so proud of our honesty and our, our ability to be so honest, right? But it's like, are you being honest so you can be self-effacing so you can keep yourself in fear so then you don't have to do any action. So you get to sit here and then you can just give yourself an excuse to drink, yes. right? It's like, it's, yes. it's and then like, th- those are the layers. Those are all the layers, you know? Yep. And they- all exist and they're all real and they're all fine but it's giving yourself the time and the space to kind of go through them and then like the funnest part for me is being in a community full of people that gets it because they're also doing that work right like i'm in western massachusetts it's different than new york city uh that's that's not to say characterized as a whole that people are different but like y'all are not doing the work um so (laughs) When I'm having a conversation about like real feelings or we're having conversations about abortion, we're having conversations about uh, Black Lives Matter or Trans Lives Matter, um, like, don't give me sound bites. Like, what are your actual feelings about the things? Um, it, I think that people are really into just getting away with as much as they can get away with. If mm-hmm. I can just say a few things and it sounds good. Um, what happens if we just like take some time and like slowly unpack stuff um and don't i don't know and be honest with what we're saying or like being like i actually don't know really i really don't know anything about that i've never really given that thing a lot of thought and then seeing what happens and then being in a community full of people that can also have also been doing the work and are like as aware of as as you are and can help you call yourself out on your bullshit like I, i would not be embarrassed to call you and be like yo dana like I don't know, I got in a fight with this person I'm seeing and I think they're being this, this, and this. And then you can be like, yo, Mac, but what's your part in that? I'd be like, shit, you're right. That would feel good to me. Whereas like pre-getting sober, that would be like, what do you mean I'm wrong? Yeah. Thank God that's the gift. And like that for me is like in my episode where I talk about lying and fucking sober. Yeah. That is the biggest thing for me. Sobriety is the gift in all of that. I wouldn't be, have been able to call myself out on any of that. Yeah. 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 And so tell me, what is it like to be a, a queer woman? And I'm going to ask you to help educate people like me 
who don't, who want to be supportive or are at least exploring being supportive, um, maybe of LGBTQIA plus communities and maybe don't understand what the difference between queer and gay is. Um, like when Austin shared on, you know, she's like, well, here I'm, I'm pansexual and everything I'm going like, holy shit, my co-host is pansexual. I don't know if I can define that. So like, can you help coach some of us on what is your experience like for being queer? And then how does that affect, how has that part of your story affected the sobriety in a week? Oh, this is, it's such a good question. And I think it's a, I, my favorite part about this question is that you asked it. Um, I don't, right. I, I think sometimes it's about reading the room, but I think the worst thing that one can do is, um, take unwilling participants. So like people they just met, uh, people they don't uh, know, or like, I don't know, like kind of sequester someone at a room and in the guise of being polite, kind of force them to educate them. These are the spaces in which we can yeah. have these conversations because I'm like such a willing participant. Yeah. Um, that I'm glad that you that don't it, feel put on the spot like no, I'm like no, 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 doing no, that no. too because that's not what I want to do and so I'm so relieved that, that it didn't come across that way okay good no <laughs> I do think that I find it really important I find it really interesting and again you know you we had a little touchstone before you know if I didn't want to talk about it I I would say I wouldn't want to talk about it I guess but right, right. I, I do find it really important and actually just I'm really grateful to take on that question right now. But the first thing and then I want to say is that like, whatever my answer is, like, I'm not a monolith for any of these experiences. Sure. sure. So, so the, but just for you, for, for yeah. Katie Mac, what is it like to be a queer woman of color? Who's trying to stay sober one day at a time? The best thing I did for him, I've been queer my whole life. I like, I had a girlfriend when I was 14. I, I, later in life, uh, that person who identified as a woman came out as a trans man. Um, I later had, you know, a, a, a small relationship or a short relationship with him. Um, I really, I'm, I would be more identified as pansexual. I like the okay. term queer um, because for me, and I've had a, I've, I've always been, I've always, I thought I always identified as bisexual, but then bisexuality got co-opted by heterosexual men uh. as a fantasy. So then I didn't ever want to lean into it. Okay. And then just for me, a little bit like my sexuality had nothing to do with anybody else. Um, I, I never wanted it to be exploited. It was, you know, easily exploited. Um, yeah. And that wasn't fun. It wasn't, it wasn't like harmful, but it was just like boring. Like, yo, you guys should kiss. Like, <laughs> like I don't know, like maybe we should, but like, I don't want you around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't interested in that. So this kind of brings up a conversation about what labels are helpful. And I think that comes in sobriety too. Like being, yeah. I call myself an addict and my best friend, Tani Lar, who is also the, um, the, the story editor for Fucking Sober. She's like, you're not an addict. You're, you have to say you're an ex-addict. Great. It helps clarify for people in the room, which is fine. But I identify as an addict. Okay. That identification resonates with me. And when I look at, and I do that to not, not separate myself from me, between people who are actively using and people who are in recovery. I love all addicts. I identify with people who are struggling. I identify with people who are in recovery and struggling and doing well. Like I wanna be referred to that way. In the same way that I like being called Mac, I respond better. I just like it. It feels better yeah. in my body. In the same way that I like to call myself queer because okay. like, I never know what I'm gonna be interested in. You know, like okay. I don't want anything to be off the table. Um, <laughs> I have in the biggest heights of my drinking, I was more heteronormative than ever because I was so afraid of being different and uh, anything I could do to be normal was the best thing I could do. So sobriety has helped me reclaim my queerness. Um, and for me, it's all just like, man, like all of the, <laughs> All of these things have allowed me to then relook at, I'm not like the, all the stuff that is coined normal and be like, is that normal though? Uh, yeah. Cause what, yeah. What is, what is, is normal? That, yeah. All my, you know, like, it's not a, it's not a challenge in a negative way so much as like, what does it mean to have like a happy life? I want that. I want everyone to have a healthy, happy, healthy, fulfilling life. We all don't get that, but I would like that for everybody. 
Um, I watch many, many people who get married young and I find out, you know, much, much later and whether or not the relationship worked for them in the very beginning, but just because you got married and you had kids doesn't mean that your life is perfect. I mean, we all know that, but like, um, I used to think that drinking was really normal and really cool. And now I actually think there's like something wrong with people who drink too much. I don't miss it at all, at mm -hmm. all. And really that just has to do with the fact that like, I now have so, and I, I'm probably the fucking weirdo now. I'm the weirdo who like starts the dances at weddings. I'm the weirdo who's like, I don't drink, but like, I don't know, y'all want to go out at four in the morning? Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't care because I don't receive that. Cause that's not my experience anymore. I have a great time. Yeah. Um, if somebody is so upset with their life that they have to tell me that I'm a fucking weirdo, then like that doesn't bother me either. There's like, I'm, there's like my, I'm bulletproof to all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so my experience of being a sober queer, I'm very white presenting. So I don't identify necessarily as a woman of color. Okay. Um, I have a background, right? Where I am uh, half Hispanic, half Italian. And so that to me uh, just helps inform some of my like cultural things that I love and enjoy. Okay. But um, I have only gotten the privileges of being a white person okay. um, in life. Um, and that's, again, just how I identify, though there's some nuances with that. Um, but in these spaces, like, it is, uh, as a sober, queer person, like, my experience is fucking great. My life cool. is fucking great. Because before, it was not. When mm -hmm. I was trying to fit myself into a box, it was awful. When I was trying to uh, drink normally and use normally, it was awful. What, and so my experience now is just nothing but a, like a lot of joy I just have like a, I make a face it's like really fun I have a great no, it's and you can see it and it comes through on the screen but it just comes through in the audio I mean you know most people are probably gonna hear this and you can hear it you can just hear it in her voice I've heard it in these other interviews that she's done and I'm so excited to be the interviewer and and really I just feel like it's just a conversation and that's the beauty of of getting to hang out with with someone like like Mac, um, like I have to ask you though, as we meander towards the end of this thing, cause I don't want to enter there. This is so much yeah, fun, no, but I have to ask you when, um, when are we going to hear Sade's story in season two? Do we have a time or is it still kind of like to be determined? Because I know that you've got seasons two, three, and four kind of lined up, but yes. it depends on like when you're not trying to force the creative process. Is that right? Yeah, at one point we thought it was going to come out a lot sooner than it was. Um, season one was totally funded by my own pocket. I have basically made all that money back through like $5 and $10 donations from um, uh, just strangers, which has been super, super, super cool. Thank you people for just deciding that that was the way that you wanted to spend your $5 or $10. Um, that is the, that's exactly how I wanted this to happen. Um, but I, I didn't um, like pay myself and I was the sound editor and producer and voiceover artist for that. So to work on Shadé's story, um, we need more people in the room. I'm not the main writer, Cynthia Wright is the main writer. It's her story fictionalized and I can't be the only person in the room. So we have other queer black uh, people of color, uh, black, and, uh, black persons and people of color in the room to help tell the story um, and it's kind of a, it's been a juggle of time and energy because also you can tell when things are sort of made not from love and attention, mm -hmm. uh, when sort of things are forced. And so it's a combination of a, a few financial hurdles um, and time and it's gonna come out when it comes out, but it's really important to me that it does. And it's gonna so, be so much better when it does because you're waiting. Be and and I tell you, like people, I know that's the number one question that all of my friends would be like, make sure she tells, like, make sure she tells us when it's coming out. So but, you know, good. It's gonna be great. Is to produce something is really wild. Um, because you just basically take people who are smarter and cooler and better looking than you and you put them in a room together and then you're just like cool and then you sit back and you just watch and the this team of people that I put together is just they're just so smart and funny so raw and so smart and so funny and I feel so lucky to be in that space so I'm actually more excited than anybody else about season two um and it's just going to be 
I, season two will immediately be followed by season three, which is the okay. exciting just of how things are being made. Um, but if for any reason, anyone's like just independently wealthy and they want to just throw money my way, um, I take it <laughs> I, and make hey, things with it. You never um, know. You, you don't know if you don't ask. You got to ask. That's true. That's true. It's yeah. less, I mean, it's less about that, but it also is like, you know, I want to pay people for their time, just like I paid people for their time for fucking sober season one um, and their music and all of the music for fucking sober season two is also um, so far we have 15 artists who are all um, queer identifying and or persons of color all in sobriety. So that's awesome. very exciting too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking time to grace my rookie show on season two episode one this was awesome but before we go i have to ask you one last question and that is what's your one-liner for everyone before we take off here um what's the one thing you would say to somebody who's listening who's maybe struggling and needs a word of encouragement today um yeah shit sucks don't drink over it okay i think like, that there you go there it is it. shit mm -hmm. sucks don't drink over it and i think we can like hey we should we should hashtag that or some shit <laughs> let's do it Let's do it. Well, that's, uh, thank you so much to Mac for spending, uh, this time with me. Uh, that's it for this episode of I kissed alcohol goodbye, the podcast where we break up with booze together. Stay tuned for episodes 21 and 22 when I'll be hosting another women's round table, the few of my sober sisters. Plus I'll be spending time with my friend Elmer, who is from the windy city. We're going to go from New York over to Chi town and we're going to delve into his newly sober experience through his eyes as a Latino man. Actually, he's really excited to talk about that part of um, his cultural experience um, as a, a middle-aged dude living up in Chicago. And until that, so until then, Al K. Hallfrey and I send you our best sober vibes by saying goodbye alcohol and hello life. Take care and peace. All right, sweet.